Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 116 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast, brought to you by Just Thrive Probiotics. I'm Dana. And I'm Tiffany. And we'll be your hosts for today. Yes, we will. We are talking with the very well-known and fabulous New York Times best-selling author and naturopathic physician, Dr. Alan Christensen, about strategies for weight, hormones, and stress with adrenal reset. Dr. Christensen has been featured, been a health uh, featured health expert on everything from Dr. Oz, The Doctors, Inside Edition, CNN Headline News, and tons more. And we are just so crazy excited to talk to him. Again, it's been a couple years, I think. Wow. Right. I I follow him all the time, so I feel like I'm constantly talking to him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's going to love that. It's true. He makes me happy. I don't he know makes why. me happy. Got such a, Can you imagine does. Karen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's, He's a lucky woman. I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we are so incredibly excited to have not only him with us on, but really quickly just to talk about Just Thrive. I know I'm taking it. I've been off it for a couple of days, and I am significantly missing it. And I, it's amazing. The study, I was reading the study this morning and listening to a webinar that I have to get the link to re-listen to it because we had to cut off for the radio program. But the probiotic, Just Thrive Probiotic, had an amazing study recently that found that 30 days of the spore-based probiotic supplementation was associated with a 42% reduction in endotoxins. This is huge. And 24% reduction in triglycerides. So it's, it not only makes you feel better, but it's doing lots of things that is changing and reducing leaky gut syndrome. So I'd love to talk to Dr. C about that, but how are you feeling? I know you're taking it too. I am. I'm feeling fabulous. We're thrilled to have them as sponsors, Just Thrive. Uh, you know, we had uh, one of the kind of founders of the uh, the strains and things, uh, Karan Krishnan, uh, on, the, on the show not too long ago, and uh, he's fabulous, and I'm just loving it, so we'll definitely mention it, but uh, it looks like Dr. C is with us. I know, right? So we had to just throw that out there. Just Thrive is amazing. We're both enjoying it, and we'll keep you posted on all the good stuff. But let's get Dr. C. Good morning, Dr. C. Let's get this Thyroid Nation thriving. Can you hear yeah, us Yeah, okay? we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can hear morning. you all. How are you all doing today? We're so good. Pretty good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Where are you calling yeah, in today a- from, Dr. C.? I am in my studio in Scottsdale, Arizona. Beautiful, beautiful Scottsdale. Mm, beautiful day today. Is it cooling down a little bit? It is. You know, of course, we have our summers, which is the only only downside about the Sonoran Desert. But it's uh, early fall, and we're we're cooling off, and it's a great time of year to be here. Is mm. that the same place that you're? Um, I saw pictures of your lovely wife. She had redone parts of your office or all of your office just stunning <clears throat> thank you so much that that's also just down the road a little ways also in scottsdale yeah yeah gorgeous oh. she did a great job she posted pictures and i was <laughs> like wow you can come to my house next so that was fabulous she is 
She is amazing. What an amazing couple you guys are. I can't imagine both you redhead types walking into a room. <laughs> I'm sure it's just like, wow, look at them. That's so when we fun. have the two redhead kids, when we have the yeah. two redhead kids with, it's especially exciting. <laughs> right? Definitely, definitely. Well, Tiffany and I were just reading, uh, rereading your story. Of course, you know we had you on the show a couple years ago, but Tiffany mentioned that you had something done recently, right, Tiff? Yeah. So <laughs> give us an update. How you been doing? Yeah. And, and for the for the listeners, a little bit about your story and and most recently, what's going on? Sure. You know, the the big picture of the story was that I was a kid with cerebral palsy, and I had seizures, and I don't know. I guess I really from an early age understood what a big deal it was when your body didn't work the way you wanted it to and how that just sucks. And like nothing else really matters when your health is going the wrong way. So that completely influenced my whole trajectory in life. And, you know, it was about age 12 to where I stumbled across some authors and experts in health books and it completely transformed my life in positive ways. And it left me with this conviction that, you know, what we do affects our health and our health affects everything you know, as far as our social connections, our enjoyment of life, just everything. So recently the cerebral palsy, the most obvious issues from that as far as the coordination problems wouldn't, wouldn't be apparent to someone on the outside, but there have been some just ongoing orthopedic challenges. You know, I've got a lot of muscles that are tighter than they're supposed to be. And so I ended up with a, a couple surgeries turned into five surgeries over the course of, about a year and a half, and uh, I'm glad to have it behind me. But you know, it was something to where I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I ever lost my passion or my conviction. But wherever it was, it went up by a factor of five or ten from just getting that experience again and then realizing just how critical it is these things that we take for granted on a day to day basis and how critical mm-hmm. our health is to our happiness. Well, I just love your story so much that that you kind of took it into your own hands uh, and, and started learning. And you're, you were basically, as much as you possibly can, living life to, to its fullest and as healthy <laughs> as you possibly can under your circumstances and, and, and doing things that maybe, you know, people would have given up on, um, you know, as far as athletic activities. And, I mean, you know, Mr. Unicycle Through the Mountains and that kind of thing. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> You know, it's a funny thing. People often have expectations about what they can do and what they're physically capable of and, and what they expect to happen throughout the aging process. But, you know, i got to say that in almost every circumstance, what our expectations are of what's possible for us is often just light years below what the reality is of what we could do. If we, you know, and it's, it's such a great thing to be, to be active and to be physical, Yeah. No, it's true. A lot, a lot of people that are, you know, in chronic illness, they develop a new normal. Or, you know, someone who's just had a baby, they'll be like, oh, well, people will say, oh, you have a new baby. You're up at night. And, and so you just de- I'm aging or perimenopause or menopausal. You know, I've just developed a new normal. That's, that is so true. And you want to go, but yeah, but this is up here. This is possible. Yeah. <laughs> you wish well, you could so give them just like a 30-second snippet of what could be. <laughs> So here, here's a 30-second snippet. I'll try for 30 seconds. So this is a big study on athletes, and it compared the performance time of athletes versus non-athletes, but then it also tracked athletes' performance throughout the aging of their careers. And this was looking at world-class athletes, and the sense was that, you know, these runners were pretty much at the limits of human performance, then to which their performance changed over the years, 
that showed the kind of aging loss of performance that we could not get away from. You know, they were doing about as much as was humanly possible to run quickly. So they're, they tracked them between ages 18 and age 80. And they didn't peak right away. Uh, many sports to take a little longer to get to one's peak. And in this case, it was about 27 for the peak. So somewhere along the way, they got faster between 18 and 27. And then, of course, they got slower from age 27 to age 80. So here's the question for you two. So what age do you think they slowed down back to their 18-year-old performance? Oh. Okay. Slow down to their 18-year performance. I, I don't know. I'm yep. going to remain hopeful here. I'm, I'm going to be 48 here shortly. So I'm going to go with 50. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I'm, I'm, I just turned 48. Ooh, gosh, I was going to say about to turn 48. But I just turned 48. <laughs> I yeah. was say, girl, you already crossed that line. <laughs> Whoopsie. For what it's worth, I'm older than both of y'all. I'm the oldest one on the call here. <laughs> so, so when I, first, right, when I first read the study, I was thinking the same thing myself. And I probably would have guessed like mid-30s. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be counterintuitive. So the, the, the answer was 64. So wow. Whatever, 60, so whatever. And, then, and the thing about this, 18-year-old performance, that's not a bad thing. You know, that's, no. that's nothing we would begrudge. So wherever, no. your, wherever your physical capacity is below where it was at age 18, that's humanly possible to recover. Anything, any gap is just gaps that you can close based upon nutrition, fitness, nutrients, training, these sorts of things. So most, for most of us, the sky's the limit. Oh, I'm feeling definitely hopeful now. Me too. <laughs> Seriously, that that is like very hopeful. I mean, I, I you know, I can only speak for myself, but it it just seemed like at 40 years old. Of course, that was my introduction to Hashimoto's and Epstein Barr and all these different things. But you know, okay. it just seemed like it's just a normal progression for life. So look at you just you just blew my whole new normal out of the water. I'm I'm well, so I'm going for it. <laughs> so here's what here's what happened was they compared also the sedentary population. And there's not an office worker who's 20 years of age who's not been doing anything competitive. There's not one you could find anywhere that can pass an 80-year-old athlete. It just doesn't happen. There's 80-year-olds that do five-minute miles, you know. So there's, there's this big gap. And so for so many of us, what happens is that we, we confuse the effects of aging with just the accumulative effects of how modern life is. You know, our, our stress load, the fact that we don't really move around, what our processed diets right. are, we confuse decades of modern life with the inevitable effects of aging. Oh, that is so well said. Man. Wow, that's I'm a flower-filled moment. Ooh, it totally, right? <laughs> I'm still processing the whole 80s, 64. Yeah. Like, I'm excited. 64, yeah. <laughs> I'm still thinking, <laughs> can you imagine at 80 running a five-minute mile? I just um, <laughs> I just can't imagine what that might look like, you know, and what how many bras I'm gonna need to be wearing to run a five five minute mile at eighty. Scary. That's funny. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's well. I'm not a runner, but I can definitely see, you know, hiking and and doing all kinds of awesomeness, you know, dancing and hiking and just kind of whatever adventure I wanted to, you know, hit on my bucket list, which is pretty long and, and I, I have a lot and, of things. And, but 
And th- thank you for expanding on that because it's not just about running, but running is just easy to measure. So you're right. You can extrapolate that into everything else that, that we care about. Right. That's just like, that's like the sky's the limit. You know, I'm thinking, you know, of course, there's all of these horrible sayings of one foot in and blah, 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 all these different things. But when you look at that as a trajectory for life and living, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, I mean, my, my father is 89 and he's, you know, uh, I I would say he's mentally healthier than healthier than you know uh, very young people, and he's very active and you know uh, working out in the gym and all these different things. And and so it's I have that right under my nose watching my father, and it's just it's a choice, right? So there's so many things that we can do to help us get there, and then there's things that we can ha- that we can do that can make us age much quicker, which is why we're gonna jump right in to the big corona of adrenal glands. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do, I have to say something, you know, because you're talking about your dad, genetics, hereditary, that kind of thing. And I know that, um, Dr. C, you were adopted, but Mm -hmm. I just saw Isabella Wentz on my birthday, and she gave me this book called Yoga and Ayurveda (laughs) and told me the whole story behind that. Ooh, that is there's something thing, here. <laughs> I mean, so so you do know your biological father. Yeah, I I don't want to detract too much from the main story, but this is a, no. this is a bizarre thing. Um, the I, I was adopted, and my birth mother, you know, she was very young, obviously unwed, and my birth father was never even informed about her pregnancy. And they went to oh my different gosh. high schools and. She was sent away, as was often done, so it wouldn't be wouldn't tarnish the family name. And she went and right. stayed at a unwed mother's home, and you know delivered me across the country. And so her health was poor, and she was in a state of high stress. And those are things that probably affected, you know, some of my my complications. But I, I got to meet her as as an adult. I I did a search through the agency that placed me, and they located her rather easily. And I knew her for a while, and she was obviously hesitant to talk about my father. And then she revealed that, well, he doesn't really know you exist. And it would be oh my kind of a weird thing. I'm like, wow, okay, got it. So, you know, I gently asked more over the years, and she finally said that, said his name. And I said, wow, that's kind of funny. There's this author with that same name who I'm a big fan of. And <laughs> the name is David Frawley. And I, I thought, you know, that would be too cool of a coincidence. And that's not that unusual of a name. I'm sure there's a lot of David Frawleys out there, and the odds are it's a different one, and he's probably still living where you guys were, and he's probably, you know, a plumber and a nice guy, but he's probably not this person. <laughs> you know, he's just some, right. some other right. kind of thing. So that's, that's what I had in my head for a few years. And I, and I didn't want to know that it wasn't this person who I was a big fan of. But finally, one of my friends said, just find out. You know, it might be, and you just find out. And so I sure. wrote a letter, and, yeah, I got a call about a week later, and sure enough, so this person who's probably the most renowned I, – I actually, I think few would – disagree that the most renowned Westerner in the world of Ayurveda, you know, Vedic, Vedic science and these, this, these traditions, um, you know, he was Deepak Chopra's teacher who got him going. He's still one of Deepak's mentors and guides. And he just received the Padma Bhushan Award, which is basically the Nobel Prize from India for civilians. So he's this huge name and huge figure. And I was a big fan of all these things that he's done. And yeah, he's my biological father. So we're, we're close friends. We collaborate and speak on a regular basis and visit and he's just a huge part of the part of the family and part of my life and yeah. What a curious Isn't thing. that the coolest 
story, I just got goosebumps all over again. <laughs> I'm so glad that, that you said that about your father, Tiff, because that totally just uh, reminded me I about um, that. <laughs> yeah, that is the coolest story. And the fact that you were a fan, I mean, that just, beforehand. <laughs> I mean, I just think that is so very, very neat. And you guys collaborate. Oh, I just love it. Yay! Okay. <laughs> now back to adrenals, back to adrenals. It was I know. universally meant to be. It was universally meant to be. That is the coolest. That's the hammock of life right there. That is the coolest <laughs> story. I did not know that. Damn it. I know. I didn't, you just I didn't me tell off my you. Feet. I know, I didn't tell you, I know, I know. Dr. C, that's awesome. Oh, we're so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm so glad okay. you asked, because I, I mean, like you said, we could dive real deep into this, but the hesitation and just, there's just so many feelings that wrap around that. I'm so glad that you just wrote the letter and asked. That is so very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, powerful, mm-hmm. powerful thing. Yep. Well, and he's a healer. Stress, he's a healer. He's a healer. That like had you. to be very stressful during that time for you. Just you know, it's a big transition. It's getting more common now that adoptees do make reunions, and and there's really not a very good expectation that people have about what the experience is about. But it's a, it's a huge, huge transition. You know, they we'll talk about the whole stress response. And there's this term called U stress or EU stress. And, you know, if you look at what happens to someone's physiology, if they win the lottery or if they meet someone they've wondered about their whole life or if they have some huge catastrophe, the, the changes in the body are pretty similar from event to event. Wow. And you say that, and I immediately go to, you know, traumas and things that are going around on the country and the stress of, yeah. you know, all those Poor people, and oh my goodness. Okay, let's talk about adrenals, Tiff. Let's jump. I don't want to talk about Vegas. <laughs> our, our hearts and our thoughts go out to to those injured in the families and things like that. But let's move to adrenals because yeah. how stressful for all those people. Well, well funny just thing to close is, that out, it's hugely it's hugely stressful for all of them. But it does those violent acts do impact everyone who's aware of it in any way. Those are exactly those put us all in a heightened level of vigilance and stress and, and unease. And I was going to say that, I mean, that it all wraps in together because, you know, Dana and I are always saying that you have these continual adjustments. I mean, look at you. You're the absolute forefront of health and and wellness. And, you know, you can go through specific things in your health or an environment, whether it it be your choice or not your choice, and still have a a stress response that changes uh, the terms of your health and and how you're doing. So it's this constant Mm -hmm. fluctuation of... And I think to me, the adrenal glands play such a huge thing because they can, you know, their response can be not necessarily always something of your choice, of your choice, you know. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you still have to be able to respond appropriately or make sure that your body is is in a physical situation that can flux with that stress, right? I mean, cortisol is, is like the I, I can't even think of what we would call it. I can picture it in my head, and it's it's so incredibly powerful, but it can also be incredibly dangerous at the same time. And so even what happened recently, you know, a lot of us, I'm sure, spend time on Facebook or dealing with clients that are stressed and and become, you know, just overly sensitive to what's happening in the world, and it and it can create an enormous health response that's not beneficial. So, Dr. C, well, you know, help us is... understand how we deal with 
what's the best way, I mean, to tune the body to where we can deal with this flux of of things that we're not necessarily choosing? Yeah, you know, and the this, the main idea is that there are certain things that we are aware of and certain things we're not aware of and some things we have more control over and some things we have less control over. So the big picture idea is to be aware of as many variables as we can be and to really address address the ones that we can. You know, some some stressors, I think everyone gets an intuitive sense on them when they're things that are very apparent, like like this this tragic event just happened. Or we could think about most will think about immediate relationships like, you know, a, a stress with a loved one, a conflict with a spouse, you know, or maybe a maybe the boss is a jerk, or maybe maybe someone in traffic is just not being a good citizen. You know, those are like the obvious stressors. But right. what happens is that there's a lot of things that are not intuitively relevant, but they contribute to this total stress load that we face. And right. some of those are things like our blood sugar or just random chemicals we might use for cleaning our house or the kind of light we're exposed to at certain times of day. So things like this can contribute to that total load. And it's always about how much adaptability we have compared to how much of a load we've got. And at some point we all break. So we've got to just lower the burdens wherever we can. Now tell us about the myth of adrenal fatigue. I would love to hear the myth <laughs> of adrenal right. fatigue. People throw that right around like it's, huh? Straight from Dr. C. I you want know, to I, hear it. Straight from Dr. C. <laughs> the adrenal guru. You know, I don't, what is the myth of adrenal fatigue? Yeah, I don't even like the term adrenal fatigue. I, I, I try not to use it except for when I'm just engaging in someone at their level of understanding. But I, I like to point it out, and thank you for bringing it up, and I think it's important because it really shifts how you understand it, and it really guides the strategies you have for addressing, with, addressing it. So the term adrenal fatigue, um, there's some, you know, we, this is a concept that crystallized in the late, late 90s. You know, it started bouncing around in the early 90s, and the first big topic on this came out in, right around the year 2000. And the concept at the time is that there's some way by which our stress load harms us and that we get these particular symptoms from that. And that's apparent and not debatable. And there's also a lot of ways by which when this thing shifts in our body, when our resilience levels go down, as evidenced by the stability of our daily cortisol cycle, that there's health complications, there's symptoms, but there's also certain things that can help with that. And some are just taking away the causes and other ways, uh, others are ways to help raise the body's resilience. So, so far, so good. But the disconnect came about early along when some thought of this as an inability of the adrenal glands to make hormones. And there's actually a really wide, widely reference quote saying how adrenal fatigue was a mild version of a disease called Addison's disease. Mm-hmm. Now, Addison's disease, you could really easily think of it as Hashimoto's of the adrenals. It's just that. It's just an autoimmune disease where the adrenals get beat up by immune cells and they lose enough of their capacity to where they can't keep up. They can't make what your body needs. And so it seemed intuitive that if you could see someone who had this chronic stress pattern, and maybe they had low cortisol, but their body could not make cortisol. So once you think about those tenants, then it can become logical to say, well, how can we make the body make more cortisol? You know, what herbs or nutrients would cause a heightened cortisol output? Or in really bad states, it would seem really intuitive that the solution would be to just give cortisol medication, the way that some that have Hashimoto's need thyroid medication. But 
the disconnect is that it's not that the body cannot make cortisol. It's that in many cases, the body's choosing not to. And there's a huge difference between a deliberate choice and then a lack of an ability. Right. So, yeah. So there's a, we think of, in the case of the thyroid, we think about TSH as being an imperfect, an imperfect in a lot of ways, but being a gauge about how much your body wants your thyroid to work. So we've got another parallel called ACTH, which is a pretty good gauge of how much your body wants your adrenals to work. So someone that has Addison's disease, like someone that has advanced Hashimoto's and advanced hypothyroidism, you know, that eventually TSH can go up for many people. Not everyone, but eventually it does. And with Addison's disease, ACTH goes up because your body wants more than your adrenals can provide. But with adrenal stress, adrenal dysfunction, what's happening is that even when cortisol is low, ACTH has not elevated. The body's not asking for more cortisol. Actually, the body's intentionally causing the adrenals to make less. Interesting. Interesting. I'm sitting here trying to apply it. I'm I'm trying to apply it to me, knowing I've just gotten a saliva test done and my cortisol is basically low all day. So I'm trying to just listen to what you said and understand. Okay, keep going. Let's talk, about, let's talk about that. It's a great analogy. I've got a, a dear friend, um, brilliant man, Ari Witten, who just went through combing over all the data to date about cortisol and the, the adrenal fatigue. So if you look at, at adrenal fatigue in medical literature, it's poo-pooed. It's not, it's not a real phenomenon. And right. there's a lot of things like burnout syndrome or fatigue or chronic fatigue. And cortisol is not a consistent predictor of any of that. Yet at the same time, talk about is cortisol slope. So that's the difference between your morning and your nighttime cortisol. And a health person has a positive slope, meaning the morning is higher than night by ideally a factor of three. But the further someone deviates from that positive slope, the more they face a lot of health risks, you know, disease risks, mental and physical, the more they commonly manifest various symptoms and the more they have just risks for early mortality. And there are things that improve that slope. So this is a very real phenomenon, but the adrenal fatigue myth has made a lot of people think they just got to, you know, take cortisol or, or boost up their cortisol. But it's also made it to a situation to where almost all conventional doctors just poo-poo the idea. Hmm. You know, it's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm still stuck when you said that, you know, uh, the body specifically chooses to do these things. You know, yeah. I think about that so often in thyroid hormone when you know like so that's for, different. It, right with me with epstein barr my body slowed my thyroid on purpose like my you know my my endocrinologist tells me it was always secondary there was you know even though i have hashimotos um you know he said that's not the primary problem but i and i really think well, the epstein would... barr was a contender because it slowed down my metabolism so by taking thyroid hormone i felt better you know, granted, you know, my symptoms uh, were so much better. And, uh, you know, with four children, I was functional. But I honestly have to tell you, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, here I am ramping my metabolism up when my body specifically has said, not right now. You know, I so always honestly, wonder. I, I would nuance your situation a little bit more than the endocrinologist did. So there's, there's a lot of truth that you said you've got Hashimoto's. Now, just for the listeners, many people that do not have positive thyroid antibodies still may have Hashimoto's. So that's, a, that's an important distinction to make. But in your case, obviously, you had measurable thyroid antibodies at some point. 
So your immune system was attacking your thyroid and it was breaking down your thyroid. That's not the same as your body intentionally slowing your thyroid. That's a disease process. And it certainly is, is probable and possible that something like an, an immune stressor, which could well have been the Epstein-Barr virus, was part of what caused your immune system to make that mistake. But that was a mistake. That was not a deliberate attempt on your body to slow your metabolism down. That was the damage to cells that make an important hormone. And it could have been caused, it could have been related to the Epstein-Barr or caused to some degree by that, maybe even a large degree, but it's not the same thing as adrenal stress to where someone does not have an immune attack. So to go further about the analogy with Hashimoto's and Addison's disease, there are measurable antibodies with Addison's. There's adrenal antibodies that are present, but they are not present in the case of what we would call adrenal stress or what's been called adrenal fatigue. There's no immune response. And the ACTH is low in cases where cortisol is low. And that means the body is doing just what it wants. In cases of hypothyroidism, even though the TSH is not perfect, and even though the range really sucks, the TSH does creep up at some point when the person starts to move to hypothyroidism. And not always above range, but there's a proportionate increase. And what's happening there is the body is trying to get the thyroid to work more, even though it cannot produce as well as it did. So that is a different situation. And I wouldn't begrudge your fault thyroid replacement in a case like yours. And in the case of adrenal fatigue, there's a lot of people who have taken cortisol under the guise of well-intentioned and well-trained doctors, and they probably felt better for a while from that. But the real long-term arc is that, hey, your body's trying to get by on less cortisol. So to really heal that and move out of it, just adding in more cortisol is not what your body's trying to accomplish. Oh, you know, that is just... There's my flower field moment there. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to get to X. <laughs> well, and I'd like to go a little more on your statement, too, because a whole lot of people wrap up a lot, of, a lot of mental pressure and emotional anguish around the idea of thyroid hormone replacement therapy. You know, it comes up a lot like, do I actually have to take these pills? Can I stop taking these pills? Are these pills harming me? And the paradox is that, by all means, Thyroid medications can be dangerous and unnecessary and overused and create a million things that go wrong. But for someone who's got Hashimoto's, part of the process is that the body begging and begging the thyroid to work isn't doing the poor stressed thyroid any favors. So when medications are used that are, you know, regulated, they're, they're not full of binders or fillers, they're appropriate for someone's needs, and they gently move them back to optimal thyroid levels, that sets the stage for the thyroid to work better. You know, that, that's like the best thing in the world for it is to shoulder part of its burden so it can heal itself up again. Now, that's not the, that's not the same as doing everything for it you know, or suppressing it or taking everything away from it, doing all of its work for it, or taking things that are not consistent, not well-absorbed, full of junk. A lot of ways it can go badly. But I really wish people would not have so much upset and anguish over appropriate, effective, helpful thyroid replacement therapy. You know, it's, it's... go ahead, Dan. I know you have a question for him. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I forgot. Now I forgot. All I was going to say is, um, you know, with my situation, when people ask me, you know, what's your diagnosis? I say I have Hashimoto's and I say adrenal issues. I have cortisol issues. I never mm-hmm. say adrenal fatigue or I try not to. Because it's not Addison's, I'm, I'm pretty sure I might be, you know, 
writhing around the floor if it was that or, or withering away, uh, you know, skinny or something, I would be able to know. I wouldn't be able to live my life you the should, way I am. You should, you should you know? screen. You should screen for it. The odds are that it's not, but you should screen for it. So, yeah, we think about adrenal stress, adrenal dysfunction. Yeah, and I just, you know, I think to myself, I don't, I don't want to call it adrenal fatigue because of, you know, everything you've just said. But I definitely have adrenal cortisol issues in my body. I'm trying to decide, yeah. decipher based on what you're telling me. You know, what does my body want? My, you know, what is it saying I need to do or not do? Is it telling, you know, stop making cortisol or what? You know, I'm just trying to kind of figure it out. I do need more testing, but I'm. Uh, this is very interesting. Thank you for sharing all of your all of your great knowledge because you know you're giving us a new way to look at things. Well, and so here's how you sort that out. No, no, go ahead, Dr. C. I I was going to say, I, I, with, with Dana, you know, uh, it's a low cortisol issue. So just saying Mm -hmm. cortisol, you know, cortisol or adrenal issue, she gets a ton of people, which leads back into her question, which was, people will throw adrenal, you know, uh, cortex supplements at her Mm -hmm. and different things, adrenal adaptogens, and all these different things. When you said taking cortisol, did you mean hydrocortisone or did you mean yep. even adrenal supplements can be problematic for people in that situation? Well, so let's go deep in that. So, so cortisol is, is a nonspecific stimulant. And someone who is taking prednisone, for example, for an asthmatic attack, they often feel euphoric for their first little bit. So cocaine is a stimulant, and people feel better when they take it in some ways, but it's not really <laughs> moving them back towards a place of better health. So, so yes, I would argue that hydrocortisone, cortisol, which is a, an analog, that it's, it's not moving the person towards their body's goal of long-term health when they have adrenal stress and not Addison's. It's life-saving and essential when someone has Addison's. There's actually other forms that work a little bit better. Now, about adrenal supplements and glandulars. So glandulars, you know, this is something I've talked to medication manufacturers about, is that there's, there's no way that you can really take a gland and perfectly extract the hormone out of the gland. So whenever assays are done on glandular products, they do retain some element of active hormone. Not always a consistent amount, in fact, usually not a consistent amount, but adrenal glandulars will contain cortisol and other adrenal hormones. And in many cases, that may be a big part of their short-term benefits to energies because someone's getting a little cortisol boost. But their body is trying not to have a little cortisol boost. And then adaptogens, there's some that are very neutral, but there's many that are kind of like uppers or downers. And they may have a place, but if someone's trying to lower cortisol and you're constantly working against the body's efforts and forcing the body to delay how quickly it eliminates cortisol, like high-dose liquors can do, then you're also making a longer arc towards being free of this condition and being back to homeostasis. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, hmm. Dr. C, I'm just going to be hanging out here in the flower field. I, it's just this con- <laughs> constant, like, resonation of what you're saying and, and how so many things, oh, you know, people just need to follow your site and your blog because there's so <laughs> much information. I mean, I know that you're too busy. I know that you're too busy to know what floats around on the Internet. But and please don't 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 go there because there's so much confusing information for thyroid patients, for 
people who are suffering from adrenal imbalance and they like yo-yos. It's a yo-yo place to be. So anyone that's listening, just follow Dr. C. It's it's <laughs> craziness, and you're just you're scratching your head, and you're going, oh my gosh, this poor person is is being led down a, a road of just disaster with information. Well, there's, you know, there's a couple things that happen. So one of which is that a lot of things you'll see are just, they're just passed around like a telephone game. I saw some other experts say this, so I'll say this too. There's that. But then another thing is there's some mindsets. So there's a mindset that if there's a symptom, you've got to work against that symptom. And that's the basis for allopathic conventional medicine. And for acute symptoms, like someone who can't stop bleeding, heaven forbid, you've got you to stop that symptom at all costs. That makes total sense. But for chronic ongoing symptoms, our bodies are just phenomenally complex and interwoven and like these orchestral arrangements of literally hundreds of thousands of moving parts and reactions that just happen in perfect harmony 99.99% of the time. So when symptoms arise, they're, they're always a sign of there being some deeper underlying issue. And so often the mindset in natural medicine is not what is this issue and how can we really work with the body's intent, but the mindset is often what is a, what is a non-drug way to treat this allopathically? You know, what is a non-drug way to stop this symptom? Whether it's a natural bioidentical hormone or a vitamin or an herb, you know, what's the way we can block this process? And, and that's, that's probably safer than, than a drug therapy in many cases, but it's not always the highest outcome. And then when you think about things like thyroid hormones and adrenal hormones, there are many that do use those with those mindsets and these are very powerful tools, good and bad. You know, their, their effects of harm can be easily registered. And so they're, they're things that really behoove someone to use judiciously and with the mindset of not just pushing against, against a symptom, but really getting to the core of the body's need to regain its homeostasis. So let's talk about that. So we're not going to call it adrenal fatigue. Every time I say that now, I'm going to think of you. I'm going to picture you. I'm going to hear your laugh. And I'm going to, I'm going to picture you going like this with your finger. No, 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 <laughs> Tiffany. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. How do we get there? Addison's aside, how do we yeah. get, is it nutrient deficiencies? Is it just stress? I mean, everybody equates adrenals with stress, right? How do we get to this place of, of adrenal um, imbalance? Is that a good thing to say? Well, one thing, that's, <laughs> one thing that's worth educating the listeners about is just the idea of stress having two different contexts. And, and for most of us in our everyday life, when we talk about stress, we're talking about the boss who's a jerk or the, the traffic guy in traffic who's, you know, cutting yeah. us off. That's what we mean by stress and vernacular. But in the context of research, <laughs> a stress is anything that pushes a system out of its state of balance or homeostasis. So in that sense, all this stuff is stressors. And in terms of how it happens, you know, the big picture idea is that our stress response is also a really good thing. You know, it helps us survive so many countless episodes of life or death risks in our ancestral years. But the drawback is we adapted to have stresses that were infrequent, that were often met with a physical response, and were often brief in duration. So what I mean by mm-hmm. that, a classic thing is like a, a predator. You know, oh my God, this big thing with claws and teeth is chasing me and so it elicits a response that I run like heck because of it, and then it's gone, and then it's not happening for hopefully a few weeks or so. So 
so that was limited in time. I, I met with it physically, and, and it came and went. But in the modern world, we've got all these stressors which turn on the same response. Like, like I said, hearing the, the, the tragedies on the news, that triggers the same response in some degree as it does to being in that situation. But the drawback in the modern world is that we have so many things that trigger the, that obvious emotional stress response, but then also so many things that work as the invisible stressors, like the, the blood sugar, the chemicals, the issues with the fake light that we're around quite a bit. So all these things are happening in an ongoing way. So it's like that death by a thousand little paper cuts. You know, there's, we never really get a break from it. So not only is it always engaging us, but it primes our body to always expect there to be something else about to happen. So we're, made, we're kept in this continual state of hypervigilance. And there's just such predictable consequences upon our bodies. And the big idea is that our body has a lot of resources that it has to put into maintenance. You know, imagine you've got like a, a public school and you've got to hire this team of janitors to come in each night to clean the school. And somewhere along the way, the budget's really tight and you can't pay for janitors. So when your body's under a state of con constant ongoing stress, you've got to marshal resources away from repair and immune response and healing and put it all more into just like, you know, driving the car as fast as you can. Hmm. I, lo I loved your reference to death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> For my very Serious, that's brain, that was great just analogy. the perfect way of explaining Wasn't it? That. Yeah. It was, but that thinking... really is what it is. It's this continual just, you know, it's a chisel, just this continual. Yeah. So that, it was very, uh, that was a very clear analogy. So one thing we can control is food. Tell us how mm -hmm. this over overabundance of sugars and hidden sugars, tell us what that does to the adrenal glands and all of this, you know, this constant flux. Well, so the adrenals, they've got a lot of roles to play, and one of their big ones is the regulation of blood sugar. So we call cortisol a glucocorticoid, which is a, it's a glucose-regulating hormone. And the more erratic our blood sugar gets, the more our body has to work to keep it in balance. You know, the right amount of glucose is life or death, and even subtle changes can mean being alert and happy or being everyone's, – everyone's, you know, been had a blood sugar crash at one point and know what it feels like to be hangry, and that's – you know, it's, you don't function as well. So you're feeling hangry because your body had to make a boost of stress hormones to raise your blood sugar back up again. And things that make your blood sugar spike quickly, like, like processed sugars, can make it drop off soon afterwards. But we can also see that diets that cause the blood sugar to fall or not rise or fluctuate a lot also create stressors on that in that same way. So one of the simple strategies is thinking about how we can be nice to our blood sugar and keep it steady. The other big dietary concept is that healthy adrenal output is really a cycle. You know, it's really a distinct spike called the cortisol awakening response and then this near shutoff close to bedtime called the cortisol nighttime suppression. And I, I realized that since that's the good rhythm, one could influence that rhythm by changing the ratio of their nutrients. You know, carbohydrates serve to lower cortisol more than other macronutrients, being fats or proteins. So I had a theory and I tested this and showed that if you have good carbohydrates in certain ratios 
more so in the evening, you can help rebuild that rhythm with a high morning cortisol and a low nighttime cortisol. So the general idea is the more your blood sugar is steady, the less your cortisol is strained. And then the more specific strategy is by adding in some good carbohydrate in the evening, you can help push down nighttime cortisol, which prepares the body for elevating morning cortisol. So help us here. Now, Now this is something instinctively I've known. I've <clears throat> you know, food controlled diabetic since I was 19. <clears throat> Carbs are essential for me. And I, I get, and I, I know I'm an individual, but this is what works for me. So what you just said, mm-hmm. I fundamentally understand, particularly with sleeping. I sleep like a baby. Okay. What mm-hmm. happens with the paleo principles and how does that fit with the adrenal reset diet? So what you, what you said there. Sure. Well, and that's where I was thinking immediately too, Tiff. I was exactly. it immediately made me think the keto, uh, you know, craze that's going on right now. I just started thinking, you know, I'm an adrenal person. I gotta, you know, this is there's an adrenal reset diet book out there. You know, there's a reason for it. <laughs> I have it open right in front of me. <laughs> but seriously, paleo, honest, honest to God, Doctor C. So paleo, is it a person that can thrive on paleo, or do they still need? Carbs. I mean, carbs has, has become like I hate to say it. It's very unprofessional, but the F word. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> oh no, you, you don't understand. They're like magic for me. So, so help us understand that concept. You know, I think the only the only bad thing we've got to worry about is the idea of making foods bad things. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. love that. Uh-huh. Right? I love that. I'm you not know, a restriction person. I really am you. not. I I feel like somehow inevitably we're we're completely just jipping the body of something that it's supposed to be getting from, from that, you know? Yeah. Um, I you hate know, to say it, but even sugar to a certain extent, would I be wrong? You would not, but I would also like to just expand that one, that sugar, there's sugar to a chemist and sugar to a baker. And sugar to a chemist really overlaps with carbohydrate. You know, every carbohydrate can be categorized as a sugar in a biochemical sense, whereas sugar to a baker means the white crystalline processed stuff. So, and you're talking about the biochemical sense, then for sure, we, we, we need that. And right. I would even expand upon the concept of what we do and don't need. You know, as omnivores, there's almost nothing we can change to our diet short of starvation that will make us fall over dead. You know, we can get by on a whole lot of different diets, good or bad. So there's a difference, though, between subsisting and thriving. And as omnivores, we thrive on the biggest diversity of foods. There's just, that, that's one of the strongest principles in nutrition is the more variety we can come across, the better. So paleo, you know, broad, broad idea, a lot of ways it's applied. A pitfall is that a couple things can happen. There's just how much carbohydrate you get total, but there's also how much fructose you get relative to your fiber intake. So the pitfall about a paleo diet is that if you have cut out all grains and legumes, then your main source of dense carbohydrate, well, and many will also cut out a lot of tubers, a lot of vegetable tubers, and what happens there is your main dense source of carbohydrates often becomes fruit. And fruit is great stuff in the context of a diet, but if it's your sole source of carbohydrate, then your ratio of fructose to fiber really becomes skewed. We're, we're better off in a lot of ways with glucose being our main carbohydrate. And we do get that from beans, legumes, starchy tubers. The other pitfall is that we can become very restricted on types of fiber, you know, the term fiber is often tossed about as if it's a thing. And there's a common type called cellulose, which is what psyllium husk is, 
but there's actually at least 16 categories of fiber that we get in a common diet. And if we restrict broad categories of foods like legumes and grains, well, now we're down to about maybe four to five categories of fiber, and we get a much less robust and diverse bowel flora. Now, you mentioned keto. There's, there's been some research saying that it's certainly a promising approach for those with epilepsy that do not respond to medication. It's promising for sure. periods of time. But one of my friends is a nutritionist at Barrow's Neurologic that's pioneered a lot of that research. And it's no secret, but the kids that are given keto diets for epilepsy, they predictably become hypothyroid, and they need to go wow. on thyroid medications during that process. So wow. there's a lot of simple wow. reasons chemically why going into ketosis does block your body's ability to use thyroid hormones. And there's a lot of ways by which going too low carb also makes things harder in terms of blood sugar regulation. So I've tracked hundreds of people with a device called a continuous glucose meter, and it shows me their blood sugar every minute of the day for five to seven days. And it seems intuitive that if high blood sugar is bad, that you'd want to just not consume foods that can become glucose, which is really all carbohydrate as far as direct formation of glucose. But it's, it's not that simple. You know, it's not that simple, that, yeah. Not that simple. <laughs> so someone who's diabetic, like you mentioned, being controlled on diet, for someone who's diabetic, their blood sugar, in a typical scenario, 75% of it has no bearing upon their dietary carbohydrate. It's based upon their body's own production, their liver production. Right. And paradoxically, diets that are too low in, in fiber or too low in fiber diversity can cause a heightened output of glucose in the liver independent of, of carbohydrate intake. So you can consume no carbs and have high blood sugar. Now, the, the liver produces cortisol, correct? I mean, a lot of people think that just the adrenal glands are responsible for cortisol production, but the brain yeah. and belly fat, I want you to, I want you to, uh -huh. this is the big kahuna for me, Dr. C, because I gained 55 pounds in a year and that oh, wow. kind of preceded all of my problems by, you know, a healthy five years or what have you. But I read in your adrenal reset diet book and my jaw hit the book, so there's literally saliva on some of the pages. I'm just letting you know. When you said, <laughs> when you were talking about uh, cortisol best tested, and um, it said cortisol is also made by belly fat, the brain, mm. liver, and the adrenal glands. And, you know, that is when I graced the book with my salivary production. But uh, – <laughs> That's craziness, right? Because that is the big, yeah. I always tell my husband, you know, he's very sweet. He's like, yeah, but I like you at this weight. Everything's fine. I'm like, <laughs> no, everything's not fine. When you're genuinely built to be 130 pounds and I'm very, you know, I'm yeah. very tall and 5'10", and you're, you're literally looming at 190 pounds and nothing that you do, I have to, have to giggle. My endocrinologist thinks it was so funny because I literally gained nine pounds on thyroid hormone. You know, he was like, you know, because initially when he put me on it, he's like, we should be, you know, able to help you drop some weight and here. And I gained weight. It was like, seriously? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's my belly. My belly's the one that's making it. Tell me how that works, please, please. <laughs> wait, wait. Before you do, if, if, if it makes it, you know, I mean, I should have a lot more cortisol, right? Because I got a belly. I'm just saying. You do really not have a belly. You do not. Help me. Oh, God. Well, so here's the, here's the funny C. thing. So, 
No, no, so I, I understand where this confusion comes from. So that you, you do make it elsewhere apart from the adrenals, but it doesn't necessarily register as salivary or serum cortisol levels. So that's, that's the simple difference. So we call uh-huh. this peripheral conversion, and there's an enzyme, um, 11-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, that converts cortisone to cortisol. So most, most systems in your body are incredibly redundant. Like thyroid hormone, a healthy person makes way more than they ever need, and they make almost all of it into inactive versions like reverse T3. That's the normal end product. But we've got leeway. And so too with cortisol. When you can, you make way, way, way more cortisone and a little bit of cortisol, and your body has the option of converting cortisone into cortisol in these tissues, like the liver and the visceral fat and the brain. But in many states of, of chronic stressors or chemical toxicity, that conversion goes awry, and the body ends up making more than it would want to. That doesn't measure or register in the blood of the saliva because it's occurring in the tissues. So in research, okay. they've done some exotic things, like they've measured the amount formed inside the liver by invasive techniques, or some more simple things they've done, like you can measure hair cortisol, and that's more reflective of the whole body cortisol output than the serum or the saliva, which is reflective of the adrenal cortisol output. Wow, really? So hair cortisol. Wow. Mm -hmm. Never heard of that. You got me there. (laughs) Well, and hair testing testing actually uh, is more helpful with certain nutrient deficiencies as well, is my understanding. Would that be a correct statement? You know, hair can be a good screen for for toxicology and some, some mineral burden. It's not always a perfect proportion, but in general, if someone has, you know, no, no measurable mercury in their hair, they probably do not have a mercury burden in their body. If they've got mercury in their hair, and going to make up a range, like say that, you know, 10 is bad and 1 is none, say they've got 3 in their hair, they may not be 3 in their body. They might be 10 or 1. Or if they've got 10 in their hair, they might be 7 or 1 in their body, but they probably got something. So it's, it's almost a useful positive-negative tool for the burden of certain toxicants. But, but yeah, if it, if it does show up, then it's smart to look more deeply and track what are the proportionate amounts in the body. Gotcha. So what is Dr. C's really essential, these essentially have to be done for adrenal health to, to, to understand you know, because that's a really common question, you know, so how do I test my adrenals properly? What, what are the essential things for Dr. C? As... For, for testing, there's two, two ways to think about that, one of which is to rule out disease, and the other is to track the overall daily circadian rhythm. And for ruling out disease, a morning serum test that includes cortisol, DHEA, ideally a chemistry panel, which will measure electrolytes and blood proteins, and then also at least once, if someone has had low cortisol, it's smart to rule out Addison. And you can do that by measuring ACTH and adrenal antibodies. If they're questionable, then there's more detailed next testing steps to make sense of it. That's pretty rare. But if they are normal and proportionate, then that can rule out Addison. Now, the daily cycle, that is best gauged through the salivary cortisol tests. And there's still such an odd, it's so odd that there's conflict about this because there's just there's a, there's a large medical review study that was done just about three weeks ago collecting all the data on cortisol slope from about the last 20 years. And just no controversy, it's a huge predictor of health and symptoms, and there are things that do improve that. 
so valid, valid thing to screen, and that's best. You'll only see that through salivary cortisol. Saliva contains the free fraction of cortisol, and this I can make a thyroid parallel. We've got like free T3 and total T3, whereas a blood test will show the total amount of cortisol, and they're, and they're different. So someone really cannot compare what their blood test says with what their salivary levels are for valid reasons. Hmm. Okay, so lead me, uh, lead me into this one. When somebody with adrenal imbalance, let's say there's an, a, 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 a health issue in the adrenal glands that, you know, because most conventional medicine will only be concerned with Addison's. You really have to push for, for other things, even, you know, ACTH and AM cortisol. But what happens when somebody with an adrenal imbalance goes on thyroid hormone, and why is that problematic? And just so you know, Dr. C, what she's saying, what she's trying to do is refer to um, me at the start of my thyroid journey. Secretly, she she didn't (laughs) say it out loud, but that's really what happened. Okay, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, so you're talking about how it's a bad thing to go on thyroid hormone if there are adrenal problems? Right, mm-hmm. or what can happen when someone goes on thyroid hormone and the adrenals are not uh, in health to, to handle that? What happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is, a good, this is a good topic you brought up, and I also do see a lot of confusion and stress about most people that have one of these concerns, or I should say most people that have thyroid issues probably do also have adrenal issues, and there's often a lot of confusion about, you know, what is, is there a magic sequence to do, a and then T or T and then A, you know, right. thyroid or adrenals or which one, which one goes first. And it's really relevant in the context of someone who has undiagnosed Addison's being important or in the case of someone who's on a dose of thyroid that's way above what the body would normally do. So those are scenarios in which it, it is a pitfall. So if someone does, and the reason for that is cortisol, I mentioned now it's got a lot of big roles. One of the other ones is that it's a gatekeeper for all your circulating hormones, not even from the adrenals. So hormones have to cross the cell membrane to be used by the inner parts of the cell. And cortisol is one of the ways that that happens. So if someone has Addison's disease, for example, they may appear hypothyroid and they may have hypothyroid symptoms and hypothyroid blood levels, but it's more so because the thyroid hormones cannot cross the cell membranes and be used properly. And so in those Mm. cases, if they take thyroid hormone, it may not work or it may cause an exaggerated effect. It could work in ways that are not really predicted based upon the response. So the other Mm. scenario is someone who's on a very high dose of thyroid, if they're on more than their body needs. So we talk about, you know, physiology, normal functioning of the body, and then supra as an above. So we call that a super physiologic dose when someone's overdosed on thyroid meds which unfortunately is a rather common scenario for someone to be on, I see. Um, But if they're in that situation, then they also take into account the health of their adrenals because oftentimes the body is altering cortisol to block the effects of the thyroid hormones. And if someone like that were to also go on cortisol treatment, that could be a, a compound danger because now there's too much thyroid hormone there and the body has lost one of its defenses against the extra thyroid hormone. In terms of the situation of, let, let's say, someone who does not have Addison's but does have some level of adrenal stress, and they are 
in legitimate need of thyroid hormone replacement therapy, there's really not a sequence apart from just, you know, do everything you can to feel better, you know, treat, treat, right. the, treat the lack of thyroid hormones responsibly and appropriately and take the steps to help the adrenals responsibly and appropriately. And neither one will have harmful effects upon the other. Hmm. Again, I'm in the flower field. I, you know, <laughs> I, I look at it in terms of, of, you know, myself, because I was on as high as 120. You basically just, just described me, <laughs> you know, and now I'm down to 30. And I, I was doing very well. Of course, my, my Epstein-Barr titers were um, 420. And um, as those came down, I assumed that was the reason why my requirement for less harm, thyroid hormone was sure. needed. So now I'm all the way down to 30, and it's not enough cognitively, but it's too much for everything else. So I literally like I'm in this hyper and hypo state at the same time. And I, I know my <laughs> adrenal glands are responsible. They've tested my, you know, my ACTH. Now, of course, I'm locked in conventional medicine, Dr. C, just so you know, insurance-wise. And uh, so they tested my ACTH, which was 30 points below significantly problematic. And I can't remember what that was. But my AM cortisol was in normal range. So he said, it's mm-hmm. not a problem. We'll keep testing it, this and that. But I feel like my so adrenal that, glands that are out, part of where this medication. Out, that rules out Addison's, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell anything about your, your circadian cycle or level of adrenal stress. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do. I'm, I'm under, you know, uh, I'm under, I would say, a fair, fair amount of stress, you know, but I do have a positive outlook and I do do breathing exercises and I do take rhodiola which um, has helped me significantly uh, in different So do, do screen your cortisol, and the, the tests are great. The other easy option within the book, the Reset Diet book, that sounded like one of you had there, that there's the adrenal quiz, and that's also free online. You can take that. I saw that, and I took about, that. <laughs> okay. How'd I took that come it. Out? Uh, you don't want to know. So you were crashed. <laughs> your little video, your little video came on there and said that my health is crashed. And then your video okay. comes on and you're explaining it. And I had to, I had to put it on hold because I was listening to a couple of things. But I, I should send you the picture. I see your little, little face there, <laughs> waiting to listen to the video on how to do it because so, that's always been my X factor. But it's never been addressed by my conventional doctor. They've always said it's not a it, problem, Tiffany. You'd be having more. Yeah more problems. There'll be more problems. With, with, but I've gone with from Addison. 120 down to 30 on, on thyroid medication. Um, and I look back at it as, as you're talking, and my TSH was never, when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, my TSH was 4. And my free which T3 is not, which and is free not T3, optimal. Right. My free T3 and free T4 were both within normal range, not optimal, just like you said. And when I went on thyroid hormone, my TSH went up to a 7. Yeah. So it was, and I had some trouble in the beginning going on, you know, different kinds of medications. We definitely fiddled around quite a bit until I found the magic, you know, the magic number. But it changes. Like I did very well for four years, and it changes. (laughs) Well, so it can it can change it can change as your health improves. It can change as your health worsens. Now, when you say thirty, I I think that means you're probably on Armour thyroid or NP thyroid. I am on Armour, yes. Mm -hmm. And I and my T four is too low. And my T3 is too high on armor. So, so a couple a couple points about that. So too low. <laughs> yeah. so the, 
So TSH and free T3 and free T4, we could talk a long time about this, but they're not, right. they're not very intuitive as far as how they work. So the free hormones are not on the high side of normal in healthy people. That's just not true. Healthy people have a large distribution of free T3 and free T4 levels. And the other big factor is that those levels change a lot based on when you test relative to when you take your pill. So if you right. take your pill in the morning and test a few hours afterwards and you're taking something that contains T3, you'll always have a high T3 level. And that doesn't mean you're getting too much. That's just saying you're at that mm. peak of T3 absorption. That's, gotcha. that's all And I mean. believe you, you always recommend that people do not take their thyroid hormone the morning of the testing, correct? For that, for that reason, because it would skew that particular result. Now, the other right. thought about armor is that your levels can fluctuate because you absorb it in ways that are not consistent and also because it's manufactured in ways that are not consistent. So there's a legally allowed variant of about 20% from batch to batch that manufacturers must stay within. But most manufacturers do not exceed those minimal legal requirements. And that 20% can actually be a lot for someone's That's levels changing. That's a big deal. The pharmacy and it's a big deal. You can get that same pill, but it could be very different, even with the same potency. The other thought is that there are a lot of binders or fillers, and even without having any exotic digestive problems, it does make the absorption of the hormones vary from anywhere from 60 to 93%. So if you couple those two factors, you could do everything just right, and you could have your blood levels bounce up and down all the time. So that's, wow. that's a big consideration. Interesting, wow. and I didn't have palpitations. That's what was kind of interesting is, is – um, you know, the endocrinologist was, he was actually pleased. He's like, you know, you're, you're doing well. You, your, your brain is doing good. Your, you know, fatigue is gone, but I was having significant uh, eye issues um, mm-hmm. and, you know, other things that aren't really associated with hyperthyroidism per se, or, or, you know, palpitations is usually what is the big kahuna for that. And I wasn't having any palpitations or sleep problems or, you know, anything like that. It's just, it's fascinating to me how everybody can be so different. <laughs> you well, know, it's very yeah, cool, it's, it's, actually. It's often pretty, it's pretty predictable in a lot of ways. Like, for example, if you're, if you've got a high T3 after taking your thyroid meds, you're not hyperthyroid. So that itself wouldn't commonly cause hyperthyroid side effects for most people. Interesting. I just love this. I mean, I, I love that. It sounds <laughs> terrible. But, you know, when you, when you hear so many different patient stories and then, you know, uh, we're so grateful to be able to talk to, you know, people like you that have such a vast a array mm-hmm. of experience, you know, dealing mm-hmm. with a thyroid patient that has, you know, low adrenals and a thyroid patient that has, I mean, you've seen it all, I'm sure. Well, go, go look at the crashed video and don't panic. But the idea about knowing the category is <laughs> that, you can, you can really leverage your efforts. And whatever you're doing for your adaptogens, your lifestyle efforts, if you leverage those to your current state, they're going to amplify the effects for you so much. It's going to work a lot better if you do things per what your current needs are. And that's what that video will walk you through. Really quick, um, before we let you go, we could talk to you all day, but um, I'm reading here in some notes. Um, I wanted you to, to address adrenals and memory loss because I'm feeling – very uh, forgetful, so, and I definitely have adrenal issues. I'm pretty much flatlined during the day. Um, is that there's a big correlation, a small correlation? Can you talk about that for us? Yeah, there's a huge correlation, and we can talk about memory loss. We can talk about brain disease like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. We can talk about age-related cognitive decline. But if you throw all those things together, they are influenced by cortisol perhaps more than any other single factor. 
Uh, I don't know when this will air, but the beginning of November, the Adrenal Reset Summit will come out and got so many great interviews. One, one that's very germane to this question is Dr. Stephen Masley. He's got a book coming out shortly about brain health, which is going to be just a total, total bombshell, bestseller, phenomenal book. But I wanted him on the summit to talk about how critical the tie-in with cortisol metabolism was for all things about brain health and memory function. So it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the biggest factors behind how your brain functions and how your brain ages. And here's a quick snippet about why. So your brain is not so much an entity as it is a collection, and some parts are used in different circumstances than others. And the part that we use when we think about having a memory or creativity or enthusiasm or, you know, all the things that really matter to us as the human experience, those come mostly from the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of behind your forehead. Now, the survival stuff is all in the bottom of your brain closer to your neck in areas collectively called the limbic system. And basically, when we're under a heightened stress load, we become less creative and more reactionary. We use less of our complex human brain, and we revert more back to our survival animal brain. So, yeah. Huh. I can't tell you how many times Tiffany has said, you need to reach out to Dr. C and get him to be your doctor. I was like, are you kidding? He probably, he probably has a wait list as long as, you know, there is tomorrow's, you know. I, um, I'm like, you know, he's got other doctors in the office. We, you know, we just can't um, uh, clone you, which would be great, right? I mean, great. if we could, that would be great. But, but I just want to know yeah. really quickly, do you do Skype? You know, I'm in Colorado, just want to, you know, or next time you come up to see Isabella, I'll swing by. <laughs> She's such a dear friend. She and Michael, for sure. So, you know, as a, as a, as a prescribing physician, our, the policy by our state board is that we physically see people once, and then we can work over the distance. We can do Skype or whatever else. So people travel and come to see us that first time. So we're, right. you know, being actually seeing someone making a real relationship and not there are doctors that more so in the past would just like prescribe all kinds of medications online, like pain meds or whatever else. And so to separate, to separate us from that, we, we do actually see people in person and establish a, a real, a real relationship and, you know, take over their care. And I could not be more excited about my current team of doctors. You know, we talk about like cloning yourself. Um, I was just with them for some case reviews yesterday. And honestly, there's, there's always some insights I can give, but I'm picking up so much. I've got like a really good crew. So they know the things that I do, but they've also got many, a lot that they're bringing to the table as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with them and totally confident in recommending them to people. Fantastic. And I love the okay. site. I love the site. See, so Dana, all you have to do, we'll put you on a plane <laughs> to go down to Scottsdale. You can have some wonderful dinners play some great okay. golf courses, lay by the pool, and just enjoy uh-huh. yourself. See uh-huh. Dr. C and his team, which I love, by the way, on your, on your website. Everybody looks so happy. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, it just reminds me of you, you know, the way you laugh and that I, I have to bring it up. I could not have laughed harder when I saw you as Prince at Mindshare. That oh, was my awesome. gosh. That was the best. That was awesome. You made my day. Was, oh, my God. That was, that was, yeah, you nailed that. Did you do any thing ever. I, I actually did, and I heard good feedback about it, which surprised me. But, yeah, I'm a 
pretty big great. fan and growing up in Minnesota, he was, he was one of our heroes and yeah, cause he's from oh, there. And... Oh my so God, you nailed it. You brought great. me that's such that's a joy <laughs> when I saw that. I was like, <laughs> that was great. Um, but the team looks like they're very light and loving and happy and laughter and, you know, just all things clinical aside, how neat of an environment that must be uh, to be in. It's it's an awesome group. And yeah, I was just just in yesterday and getting caught up with everyone, and and I do regular case reviews and help help steer and guide the whole process. And it's it's just a blast to go and, and hang out and, and interact. Like we we did a group camping trip about three weeks ago and had had such a good time. So it's it, it's a phenomenal phenomenal group. Well, if I come and I don't see you, I'm definitely going to try to um, hit up your wife. I want to raid her closet and have her dress me up. She's just, <laughs> I mean, every time I see her, she's wearing some just fantastic outfit or shoes or something. And so, I mean, if I don't see you, I'm coming over and I'm going to make her, you know, dress me up in her closet, in her closet because she's just amazing. You too. I bet how much fun you guys have. So we have loved talking really to you. Thing. We could really talk all day. Um, of course, we're huge fans. I did not realize that you had a summit coming up. So can you tell us about it really quick before we let you go? For sure. This is the Adrenal Reset Summit, and this is the second annual event, and uh-huh. this will be airing November November 6th. And okay. I think I've got, heck, I think it's 37 different different experts. It's a bunch. Wow, and, awesome. You know, there's, I don't want to have this come off badly. There's a lot of people you see in all the summits, and I brought in a lot of people you've not seen, but they're really, it's all about the content. It's all about the topic and people that have really distinct, helpful, actionable information that you can hear and can make your life better right away from. So that, that's, that's what I really cultivated in this, and I'm very, very proud of the thing people hear on the summit. It's, it's new stuff. Great. Mm, very cool. We, we okay, make sure and share, definitely. Before we let you go, the top tips, top functional tips that anybody can do to help their adrenal glands. You know, the big thing would really be getting your diet dialed in and there's the, there's the big adrenal stressors. You mentioned sugar as being a big one for sure. If someone does have adrenal stressors, caffeine can also be a problem too because it does cause the body to form a lot of sugar quickly in the bloodstream. So even though it doesn't have sugar, it actually causes your body to shoot a lot of sugar quickly in the bloodstream, which is why it gives you a boost of energy. So think about avoiding that for adrenal recovery. And then alcohol is a big one. It's also a stressor in that regard. You know, wine, there's, it does have some effects on lowering the risk of some types of heart disease, but an overall picture is not a health food, and it is something that just still does create more adrenal stress. So then the things that help are really going to be a big variety of plant foods, the greens, magnesium-rich foods, and having healthy carbs and having a big range of fiber. Probably the single food category that has the hugest impact would be resistant starch because it can make your blood sugar stable for seven to nine hours at a time. So we get that huh. from legumes, underripe bananas, also from potatoes, not so much sweet potatoes, but just regular potatoes. And we, we've, made a, we've made a shape that has a high amount of that. But the more you can add resistant starch throughout the day, the more your blood sugar stays dialed in and the less stress it creates invisibly for the adrenals. And I love that, Tiff. We talk about that adrenal- all the time secretly. <laughs> we talk about it because we know that you're a fan of legumes and and not just sweet potatoes, and we talk about it all the time. So we, we, I want to just time. mention it again, out loud. He said it, folks. You heard it here. And don't forget 
the Adrenal Reset Diet book. It's awesome, 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 awesome. And the Adrenal Summit. And there you yeah, go. Coming up, November 6th. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dr. C, well, this has been fabulous. Again, we can't wait to talk to you, I guess, in next year sometime. And uh, have a fabulous day. <laughs> Tell your wife I'm coming to see her, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Will do. Keep up all the great work y'all are doing getting these messages out. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, you, Dr. C. We just love you. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And he tops it off with that great laugh. Got to love that laugh. I know. Right? I know. He's got the best laugh. I know. I know. I wish we could clone him for everybody. This is your doc. America, this is your doc. I'm sorry, adrenal fatigue or adrenal imbalance. Look at me. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. It's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, you just it's a said big, it. Big deal. It I is a big myself. deal. I One of the myself. things I didn't mention, but I'm just going to throw out here, is um, notes from him about how adrenal stress uh, is worse than smoking. Wow. <gasps> we forgot that one. Darn it. Dr. I know. Are you still here? But it was, but it was, uh-huh. it was in his notes, so I know that it came from him. So uh, yeah, that's a big deal. And then, what about those people who, who, who smoke too? Oh heavens, they're screwed. Oh, it's terrible. Oh gosh. You know, I mean, I just uh, it was a biggie, so I wanted to share because I saw those in his notes, and I thought, hmm. That's a, you know, you know they maybe say we'll get, sitting is maybe we'll smoking, get, so, you know, I just want we'll to ask throw him. it out. We'll ask him, and then we'll post it in Hashi's, in the Hashi's group, yes. what his response to that was. Yes, we I'm will. I'm sure he'll Definitely. do that for us, because that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, they talk about sedentary lifestyle being worse than mm-hmm. smoking, mm-hmm. and don't stress worse than smoking, so we want to know the, the, the whys. So we are yeah. very sorry we didn't get that question answered. We will get an answer. And post it we in will. the Hashi's group. Definitely. Yes, we will. Whew, that's hmm. one of my favorites. He really is. See, now look, you've got all kinds of things in your protocol that you've got to rule out. Yes, I know. For Thanks, proper treatment. <laughs> <laughs> He's your doc, Tip. baby. He's everybody's he... adrenal doc. His his group is the adrenal his group. group. Yep. His group. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he pays attention to everybody him. who's coming through there. He's he's on all the case studies and things like that. And so, you know, you know you're getting him if you're getting the group. So, Dr. C in Arizona, if you're close by or you want to travel, he's uh, he's in Scottsdale. So, check him out. And we'll keep Oof. you posted on the Adrenal Summit because that will be awesome. Yeah. It was great last – was it last year? Was it already a year ago? Was it two years? I can't remember. I want to say it was Oof. 2016. So it was yeah, last, last year. year. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. As always, a very big thank you to our listeners. We love doing the show. If you have a free minute and you enjoy them as much as we enjoy doing them for you and you want to leave us a review, we would be so thrilled. And uh, you can also check out all the shows, the past shows, the archive shows on iTunes. You can download them on Stitcher. You can listen to them. Uh, the replay, Google Play, you can go to thyroidradio.com and listen to uh, today's show as well. Absolutely. And Karen Krishnan, uh, in regards to Just Thrive Probiotics, his show with us was amazing. He's so incredibly smart and he makes everything so understandable, but talks about another 
a 30-day round of probiotics um, with college students and uh, microtoxins and just really amazing things. So that was a great – that was one of my favorite um, podcasts to listen to. So just something to kind of run back to to Just Thrive. It was uh, really awesome. Karen Krishnan. And I don't know if it's Karan Krishnan. I don't know. Um, I don't either. So I probably just butchered that one. Well, it's okay. Um, Mr. That's a good question. That's right. And I missed uh, the intro on the the webinar that we were listening to. So we're going to have to find out that answer because the last thing we want to do is mispronounce that or pronounce it improperly. We will get the answer on that one too. But it was amazing. K, K Krishnan. Yeah, K Krishnan. We can do that. We can do that. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Wonderful, clean, preservative-free, fabulous skin care, and other helpful thyroid tools designed specifically with uh, essential oils to help ease thyroid symptoms. Brain Awake Inhaler. We have just all kinds of goodies love potion to encourage massage and and I'm not going to talk any more about it because you're going to get mad at me. <laughs> you're like, quit it. I know. Where are mine? They're, they're stuck you're somewhere. You're teasing me. Irvine, right? Um, but these oh are essential oil blends that Tiffany and I created together uh, for your thyroid and your health and uh, just to support, you know, a healthy life, healthy yeah. thyroid life. I will be having a big announcement on the show next week. Personally, something I've been working on, um, won't tell you all the details next week, nor for a while, but I will be talking about it next week on the show. I'm working with my partner on it, and we will will have a uh, website to give you to be able to stay in the loop and be the first to know. So that will be coming, fingers crossed, next show. Don't forget to check out thriveprobiotic.com. They are our fabulous sponsors. Just Thrive Probiotic and Antioxidant. It's fabulous. Tiffany and I are both, we were using it and taking it before we even, um, you know, worked out the, the sponsorship. So we are huge fans. Mm-hmm. And make sure to follow Thyroid Nation on all the social media platforms and the Facebook group where we have some information about all the upcoming guests and the past guests. And, of course, questions can be answered and asked in there. You bet. And, of course, Dana and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey, and it's constantly changing. There are things that come up that will alter your health pattern, and you have to be listening to your own body and be mindful of what it is telling you. It is the world's greatest built-in Specific to you, diagnostician, please be make sure to listen to listen to it. Yep, that's for sure. We are all mm-hmm. individuals, and just because X works for some person doesn't mean it will work for you. Listen to your body. It is very smart. We say that mm-hmm. on every show. This mm-hmm. is Dana. And Tiffany. Your Thyroid Nation Thrivers bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united, we heal. Thanks, guys. Next week we have Jill Grunwall and, uh, from Healthful uh, Elements, so it'll be a great show. Thanks. Very cool. Have a wonderful week.